Well, good morning, church family. I hope you're as fired up about this morning as I am. I'm fired up. I cannot wait to see what the Lord has for you and I this morning. I want to take a moment, look in the camera, welcome those watching online all over the nation. And I want to say, if you're around the Sturgis area, I really hope as you're watching online that you will make it here in person sometime soon. I had to run to the back really quick um, during worship. And when I was walking back out, and I keep saying this about our church now, you guys were singing. And it was awesome to hear you guys. And I don't want you on that side of the camera to miss out. I hope someday, and Lord willing, soon you'll be in this room and get to worship with friends and family that call Radiant Life home. Well, we're going to wrap up week seven. I can't believe we've been on this series seven weeks now. Week seven of our current uh, series called Unchanging. We've been looking at biblical truths that are unchanging, that you and I can plant and drive our, this foundation of our life deep with these unchanging truths. Because how many of you know our culture today is constantly trying to shift what the meaning of truth is. They're trying to redefine things. But what can you and I do when the tides and culture and the waves of culture come in and out? We have something that we can stay firm with. Unchanging biblical truths. And this series has been founded basically on the Nicene Creed. We've been looking at the Nicene Creed that was written in AD 325 when the church leaders gathered together and they realized that, hey, there's heresy or there's this sneaky doctrine theology that is creeping within the early church. The question of was Jesus actually God? They were saying he was a created being, he was not God. And they got together and took 180,000 words of the Bible and got it down to 275. 271 words, the cliff notes of the Bible, the essentials, the unchanging truths. And we get to land the plane in this series. Turn to your neighbor and say, get fired up this morning. <laughs> Turn to your other neighbor and say, hi. <laughs> there you go, all right? All right, let's jump in to the last paragraph of the Nicene Creed. And we're going to look at the, the top two-thirds, if you will. And here's... Here's where we actually ended last week with this statement. We believe also in one universal apostolic and holy church. In one, what's this one word, friends? One baptism. We'll get to that in a moment. And repentance for the remission and forgiveness of sins. It's very interesting that the church, early church fathers got together and put a sacrament into the Nicene Creed. And we'll unpack what a sacrament is. But if you were to take everything in the Bible, about 180,000 words, and you were going to put it into, you only have 271 words to use, I find it fascinating, and there must be a real importance for them to talk about baptism. Now, it's part of what we call a sacrament within the church. We believe that there are two sacraments that Jesus instituted communion, and baptism. And maybe for some of us, we grew up in different denominations of our faith, and maybe you had four or five or six different sacraments. And a lot of us would say uh, man had made that or our denomination and kind of made those sacraments with communion and baptism. 
Here's my heart and goal today. We're going to look at two sacraments as the Nicene Creed closes, two sacraments that we know Jesus instituted, communion and baptism. And my goal as we work through this is that when we think of communion, that we don't just take communion when we take communion and just take it and say, well, that's just what we do because the pastor said come and take communion now and I'm going to take communion. But we would have a richer, deeper understanding of what we're doing. And when we celebrate baptisms here, you have a deeper, more celebratory attitude of what is actually transpiring. I want you to know this before we jump in. That baptism and communion are not rituals, but are deeply personal. Deeply personal. So we're going to have two conversations. We're going to have part one, we're going to talk about communion. And then part two, we're going to talk about baptism. So let's jump into conversation number one this morning. Communion. Now, there are all sorts of ideas of how we celebrate communion within the church. Some of you may have grown up with the idea of celebrating communion as every single week you partake in what's known as communion. Other denominations may call it the Lord's Supper or the Eucharist. It depends on your background and what you grew up in. But maybe for some of you, you were used to taking communion every single week, every time you ever showed up to a building to do church together. Others of us, you're used to maybe once a month. Here at Radiant Life, what is our policy? We will always serve communion once a month. First Wednesday. You always have communion on first Wednesday. So some of us are like, well, I've been wondering. I've always missed out for a while on communion. Go to first Wednesday. All right? Always have it on first Wednesday. Always, once a month. And then we try to do it about every two months, if not for sure uh, every three months, that we celebrate this idea, this sacrament in the church world known as communion. But there is a story to how you and I even have communion in the first place. See, it started thousands of years before, thousand years before Jesus. When God's people, who were known as the Hebrews, they were not known as the Israelites yet because they have not gotten fully established in the promised land to what we know as present-day Israel. They were known before that as the Hebrew people. They were enslaved in Egypt, God's people, enslaved in Egypt for 400 years to a guy by the name of Pharaoh. And this Pharaoh, oh, he was a slave worker, slave driver. He drove the Hebrew people to do all that work for him for 400 years. And then God's like, hey, I hear the cry of the oppressed. I'm going to send someone to rescue my people out of slavery. And he sends a guy by the name of Moses. Moses arrives on the scene and Moses is there, and maybe some of the famous words you guys have maybe been accustomed to with Moses, as he goes to Pharaoh a couple times and says, let my people go. And Pharaoh's like, nah, you cray cray. Like, I got all these Hebrew people doing my work for me. I'm not going to let them go. And Moses goes, and Moses also says, hey, you know, there's going to be a plague that's going to happen on you. And there were a total of 10 plagues that ended up on Egypt because Pharaoh just would not let the people go. Different plagues. And I'm going to, I'm going to send, send you away with homework. This is going to be fun homework. This is not like school boring homework. This is fun homework, okay? Here's your homework assignment. 
during your quiet times or whatever this week. Look at every plague God sent on Egypt and tie it into an Egyptian God. It's awesome. Every plague will tie into an Egyptian God that they worshiped. Figure that out. It's fun, right? It's in other words, okay, why flies? Why frogs? Those are weird. Like of all things, like God, why'd you send those things, right? You know what's awesome? Because they had Egyptian gods that worshipped, listen, that worshipped frogs. And it's like God saying, na-na-na-boo-boo, I'm your God. I'm bigger than your fake gods. Right? It's awesome. Like when you start to see the parallel, man, I tell you, the Bible just whoosh, explodes. It's awesome. And so you get to finally the 10th plague because Pharaoh's just not relenting. He's like, no, I'm not, I'm going to keep these people. They're slaves. They're working for me. And so the 10th plague was the, was the angel of death was going to sweep over and kill the firstborn son. And, and obviously you don't want that. And so God's like, I'm going to protect my people from that plague while it's going to sweep over Egypt. And they are to take a spotless, blameless, or yeah, spotless, blemish, 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 spotless, not, you know what I mean. Just, we'll just go a spotless lamb. A spotless lamb. They're to sacrifice it and paint on the doorposts the blood of the lamb. And so here's what God gives the instructions to the Hebrew people in Exodus chapter 12. It reads this way. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses. So in other words, it would look something similar to this image here. That you would paint the door frames with the blood of the lamb in order to be a sign that God will protect you as the angel of death sweeps through Egypt. A little further on, this is a part of that. It says this, the blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will, can we read these two words together? I will pass over you. Pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. And so the Israelites did that. Sacrifice a spotless lamb, paint the doorposts of their house. That night, the angel of death sweeps over Egypt and passed over the Hebrew people's homes and protected them and kept them safe from that last plague. And then in the midst of all of it, God reminds them, hey, um, Pharaoh's gonna relent, which Pharaoh eventually does. He's like, hey, get away from me. I don't want your God. I don't want your people. Like, go, leave. And... (laughs) To God's knowledge, obviously he knows. He's like, hey, by the way, you guys are going to have to leave in haste. Because Pharaoh is actually going to end up chasing you. He's going to realize, oh no, I just lost all my work. My workers. I need them back. So while you guys go, you're going to be hungry. Make some bread, but don't put any yeast in it. Because don't, you don't have time for that bread to rise. You just got to go. Right? You just go. And that led them into the rescue mission out of Egypt. It led them into what was slavery to freedom. Slavery, 400 years of slaves in Egypt to now freedom. They're not slaves anymore. Now this is what the Jewish people still today celebrate what's known as Passover where you get from Exodus chapter 12 that the angel, that this plague, the angel of death is going to pass over and they celebrate it. And there would be a lot of different elements. There would be some bitterness, bitter things to taste and be reminded of the bitterness of slavery. And this would be a meal that you would celebrate together. 
And part of it is, is once a year, the Jewish families celebrate what God did to their ancestors a long time ago, slavery to freedom. And you as the head of the house, the head of the table, would uh, bring bread and remind those around the table, remember how God delivered us and how our ancestors didn't put the yeast because they got to go, right? We had this like hard, nasty, flat bread that we had to eat, our ancestors did, because we just had to go. We had to go, right? But it was slavery to freedom. And there's different elements of the Passover meal that they would represent. And they still today celebrate this meal, remembering what happened back in Egypt when their ancestors were slaves. Slavery to what, friends? One more time, slavery to freedom. And then Jesus comes. And how many of you know when Jesus comes, everything changes? His disciples would know this meal. They would have celebrated this meal as good Jewish boys growing up in a Jewish home. Jesus, being a Jew, would have celebrated this meal. And in fact, the night Jesus was going to be betrayed, handcuffed, and put in jail, he's celebrating this meal in the upper room. Luke tells us in Luke chapter 2, or 22, verse 15, and he said, Jesus, to them, the disciples, I have eagerly desired to eat this, what's that one word? Passover with you before I suffer. What was Jesus doing in the upper room with his disciples? The Passover meal. And Jesus is going to elevate everything that the disciples knew. Jesus is going to elevate this meal and make it about him now. It wasn't just about God delivering them 400 years of slavery in Egypt. It was going to be something greater now. And it was not just for the Hebrew, the Jewish people. It was going to be for everyone. See, this is where you and I get the word, the sacrament, communion. From this right here. And in this moment, Jesus is going to look and take the elements that were present at the meal, the cup, which would have been wine, and the bread at the time, and he's going to make it about him. He knows what lies ahead. The disciples don't yet. See, in that moment, communion is about Jesus, and it's deeply personal. Deeply personal. He's going to take the bread and tell his disciples to when you take and partake and break it, give thanks. And then he's, he's going to say that this will eventually, this is going to be my body that will be shed and broken for you. And you are to eat this in remembrance of me. And then he would take the cup and the wine and say, this is my new covenant. That my blood will be shed for the forgiveness of sins. You are to take and drink in remembrance of me. And I wonder in that moment, as the disciples are like, wait, what's going to happen to you, Jesus? Because he took what they knew as slavery to freedom, a Passover meal, and he made it about him and deeply personal to him. But they would also understand something. That Jesus had another name and what he did made sense. See, when, we, when Jesus arrives on the, scene, there's a guy, on the scene, there's a guy by the name of John who's present. And John is there in the, at the Jordan baptizing people. And he sees Jesus, who's actually his cousin. 
And here are the words as he introduces Jesus onto the scene. He says this, the next day John, who is John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the, can we read these three words together? The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Immediately, John the Baptist knows that is the Lamb of God. That is who that is. In fact, Paul writes to the church in Corinth, and he's going to tell the Christians in Corinth. He says, for Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Peter, the leader of the 12 disciples, says this in his letter. But with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. They would have understand the disciples as they celebrated the Passover meal one last time that this was able to happen because a lamb was sacrificed, a spotless lamb sacrificed, blood put on the door frames. That is able to allow the angel of death to pass over them and keep them safe from slavery to freedom. And now Jesus says, this is about me. I am the spotless lamb. I'm the sacrifice. So now as you partake, know that this will be my body broken for you on the cross. This will be my blood for the forgiveness of sins now on the cross. And you and I now get to walk from slavery into the things of the world, and addiction of the world, into freedom in the name of Jesus. And he elevated the Passover meal. Communion, where we get communion, is right here. Communion is about Jesus, and it's deeply personal. Because we know we walk in freedom now. And it means a lot. You don't have to be a slave anymore. Because Jesus went to the cross for you and for me. In fact, this was so important to the church in Corinth, those Christians in the city of Corinth. Paul writes to them about celebrating communion together. And it reads this way. For I received from the Lord what, also passed, what I also pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. For who? It's for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And Paul is writing to those Christians in Corinth, reminding them his body and blood was broken for you. And when you partake together, remember his sacrifice. And you have now gone from slavery to freedom yourself. But Paul's not done. There's one caveat to celebrating communion together. And he reminds the Christians in Corinth, everyone ought to examine themselves. Before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup, 
For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. And I don't want to scare you with that. Sit there and go, I don't know if I want to drink the cup. I don't want to pass judgment on myself. But why does Paul remind the Christians in Corinth this? Because communion is about Jesus and it's deeply personal. And that word for examine that Paul uses there, that word there means to examine a rock or a jewel to make sure it is precious, that that jewel is right. And Paul says, before you partake together and remember the sacrifice of Jesus, examine what's going on in here. Because communion is not a ritual. It's deeply personal. And I know maybe for some of us, we've never understood that. For some of us, we just come up and we just partake. It's just what we do. And we've never sat back and said, you know what? Before I take that bread, before I take that juice, God, is there anything you need to reveal that I have in my heart that I don't know about? And so we're going to celebrate communion together here in a moment. But before that, I'm going to give us time and space now and make room for you to ask God to examine your heart. And the team's gonna play a song over you. It's called, Here's My Heart. Ask Holy Spirit to reveal things. Ask Holy Spirit to speak truth deep within your soul of what's transpiring, what you may need to let go of, what you may need to confess before you take the bread and the juice. So sit, stay seated and allow them to minister over you as you seek the Lord in this moment. At this time, we're going to celebrate communion. There are four spots for you to grab the elements, the bread and the juice. We have one there and one there and two in the back corners. And maybe you're watching online and you've got some bread and juice that you want to grab right now. That's great as well. Here at Radiant Life, in order to partake of communion, you do not have to be a member of this church. We just ask one thing. That you have put your faith and trust into Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That you are a follower of Jesus. The bread is all gluten-free bread. The cup has juice. And for those that are still don't want to maybe grab from the same bowl, there are individual cups with wafers, if you prefer that as well, on every table. The team's going to go back into this song, and maybe for some of you, you still got to sit and allow the Lord to examine your heart and do so. Maybe others of us, you're ready and you can come either to the back or to the front and grab the elements. Take them back. And you're going to take them on your own when you are ready. And the team will keep playing over you 
as you grab those elements. But before you move, I want to pray for us. Then remember, grab the elements, take them back, and you take them on your own. But let me pray for us before we partake. Jesus, we thank you for your body that was broken for us. We thank you for your blood that was shed on that cross so death can pass over us. Spiritual death now passes over us and we walk in spiritual freedom now in the name of Jesus. We come with a thankful heart, a heart that is full of gratitude because Jesus, that was our sentence you took and we thank you for taking it on yourself that we can be in walking in freedom now. So as we grab the elements, Lord, would you bless them? Bless those that partake in communion. And may we surrender everything to you. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. When you're ready, you may go to the tables, take it back, and take and eat and drink when you're ready. Jesus, with you, everything changes. Everything changes. And we are a church that, are, that is so thankful for the freedom in your name. We thank you that chains are broken in the name of Jesus. That your power is greater than the power of sin in this world. Thank you for the body that was broken, for your blood that was shed on the cross so we can walk in freedom. Thank you for never leaving us nor forsaking us but as you took your last breath, that curtain in the temple was torn. And God, your presence went everywhere. Thank you that your presence, Holy Spirit, is in us and working through us. Thank you for that sacrament of communion. We praise you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. That's one sacrament, communion. The other sacrament that we see is as the creed says, in one what, friends? One more time, in one baptism. So let's enter quickly conversation number two, baptism. Now, the Jewish people we're very caught up on what is known as ceremonial washings or ceremonial cleansings. And there's a reason why, but there was, there was things that they always did. They understood the idea of cleansing and washing. Unlike a lot of middle school boys. <laughs> Not there yet. But they understood. They understood. When John arrived on the scene... John spent most of his ministry right here at the Jordan River. And what was John doing? John was baptizing people in the Jordan River. This is why John has the nickname, John the what? 
baptizer or Baptist, right? It was not because he went to a Baptist synagogue. They weren't around then, all right? Had nothing to do with denomination. It's just what he did, okay? Just like Jesus Christ. Christ is not his last name. It was not his denomination. He was here and crowds of people came to him. Now, he was a little out there, if you will. You know what he wore? Camel hair garment. Yeah, exactly. You can hear a pin drop. You're like, wait, what? You know what he ate? Locusts and wild honey. I mean, he was like, I picture John the Baptist, and this is maybe way off. I picture him as like a manly man that's hairy, right? It's just what I, it's just like, ah, locusts, you know? Like, I don't know. He's probably not like that at all, by the way. But he was here at the Jordan River baptizing people. In fact, Matthew, the tax collector, records in his gospel in the book of Matthew, says this. This is his message at the Jordan. Repent. What's this one word? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This idea that as people are coming to him, he's telling everyone, repent, repent, the kingdom of heaven has come near. He's referring to, he knows Jesus, his cousin, is on the scene. Remember, you and I looked at previously, what did, what, how did John introduce Jesus when he saw him? The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He knows that the Savior, the Messiah is here in Jesus and he's saying the, Kevin, the kingdom of heaven has come near. Jesus is here. But he's telling everyone, repent. In other words, it's a turnaround in the direction you and I are walking. Everyone, you're walking towards sin. Repent of that and turn and come back to God. But he wasn't done yet. Here's the scene that John is doing this in. A little further on. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Watch what they're doing. Confessing their sins. They were what, friends? Baptized by him in the Jordan River. Now, a lot of churches, we celebrate baptism as a sacrament of the church. Here's what's interesting. Have you ever been to a baptism when someone's going to get baptized and they had to stand up and confess their sins to everyone? Maybe some have. It may have been a little, slightly awkward maybe. I guarantee you those baptism numbers are probably real low. <laughs> no one's volunteering me. I can't wait to get baptized and tell everyone what I've been doing, right? But that's what they were doing in the ancient world. Why? Because they were so moved by God that in front of everyone they are confessing their sins and now getting baptized, getting dunked in the Jordan River in front of crowds, you and I must know this about our faith. Faith is personal, but it's not private. Your faith was never meant to be private. You may have had a personal surrendering moment when you gave your heart to Jesus, when you put your faith and trust into Jesus in that moment. That may have been very personal, that personal decision. But your faith right there is now never meant to be private. Or yeah, never not meant to be private. It's meant to go public at this point. In fact, I love what, um, when, John, when John is there baptizing people, Jesus comes and he's like, whoa, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And Jesus gets into the Jordan River. And, and Jesus is like, you got to baptize me. And John's like, Are you, I'm unworthy to baptize you. And John the Baptist says, actually, you got this wrong. Like, I should be baptized by you, Jesus. And here, then, John the Baptist will actually baptize our Savior, Jesus Christ. 
It reads this way, then John allowed him, Jesus, to be baptized. Remember that allowedness is because John's like, I'm unworthy to do this. Jesus says, no, this must take place. And when Jesus was baptized, he went up immediately from the water. The heavens suddenly opened up for him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming down on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son. With him, I am well pleased. You know what's cool about this moment? Who's there? You learned it in week two. The entire Trinity is there at this moment. You have the Father speaking down. This is my beloved Son. With him I am well pleased. You have Holy Spirit descending like a dove on Jesus. And of course you have Jesus there. That must have been a pretty incredible sight to see. And Jesus is now baptized. And this right here launches Jesus' public ministry. This event right here. So Jesus is going to launch his public ministry. His disciples are out now baptizing people. The Pharisees, the religious people are getting upset. They're saying, hold on, wait, you're baptizing more than John the Baptist and his disciples. And yeah, we are. The kingdom of God is coming. The kingdom of God is here. We're here. We're changing lives. That's what wants to happen. And people are getting baptized. And then Jesus dies on the cross, rose again three days later, and hung out now for about 40 more days before he goes and ascends to heaven And he reminds all the disciples this statement, the second to last command Jesus ever gives. Therefore, go and make what, friends? Disciples of all nations. What are you doing now? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, the Trinity there again, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is a pivotal moment that he's saying, hey, disciples, now you got to go and make more disciples. How do you ever make a disciple to begin with? They have to be a believer first. They have to put their faith and trust into Jesus Christ, the moment of salvation. They must do that. You gotta go and get people saved. Then make them disciples who look like Jesus. And by the way, part of their next steps, part of their faith journey is getting them baptized. This is what I love about baptism because the water represents a grave. And that your old self, everything you once were enslaved to the world has now gone into the water, the grave, and you're coming out a brand new person in the name of Jesus. And here, what you have to know this, please, 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 please hear this. We surrender personally, we share baptism publicly. It's where you go in front of your church family and announce to everyone who's here, I'm a follower of Jesus. Now, in the ancient world, baptism was very convenient and very around. It was just, let me just leave it. It was convenient. Here's why. They had these things everywhere in the ancient world. These are known as mikvah. Let me hear you say mikvah. Mikvahs were all over the town because I told you the Jewish people were very intent on ceremonial cleansing and washing, and this is where they did it. It would be filled with water. You would enter down the stairs, and then you can cleanse yourself. So when people got saved and they believed, it was, they could get them baptized right there because they could be like, hey, right around the corner is a mikvah. Let's go get baptized. And so they go out and then they can baptize people because these are everywhere in the ancient world. 
And in the book of Acts, you realize after God gave that, or Jesus gave that command, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Then the book of Acts happens. It's the launch of the early church. The church is launched then when the Holy Spirit comes down. And you know what happens? People get saved. They believe in the name of Jesus. Then they're baptized. Here's just a few examples I pulled from Scripture. In Acts chapter 8, this is Simon the sorcerer was realizing, whoa, these Christians got some cool like powers that I don't have as a sorcerer. And he's like, I will buy. I want what you have. And they're like, no, you can't buy this, man. You got to surrender to Jesus. And he says this, but when they believed, when they what, friends? They had to believe, watch, they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ. They were baptized, both men and women, even, look at this, even Simon himself, the sorcerer, believed and was baptized. They came to faith, their next step in their spiritual walk with Jesus, baptism. Here's more proof. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. Oh, it was like revival right now was happening. People were getting saved, the Holy Spirit's coming. So he ordered that they be, what's this one word? baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Here's another example in, in Acts chapter 16. And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus. There is only one name to get saved and his name is Jesus Christ. Believe in him and you will be saved the moment of your salvation, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. They got saved and watched this beautiful thing. And they took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once. He and all his family. One more example. Crispus, the synagogue leader. Isn't that, this is interesting. Think about this. This is a church leader. And his entire household believed in the Lord. They're saved. And many of the Corinthians, this was the city that it was happening in, in Corinth, many of those heard Paul, believed, and were what? Baptized. Here's why baptism, and of all the things those early church fathers ended up writing in their creed, one baptism, we believe in baptism. Because baptism matters because of what Jesus did in you. It matters because of what Jesus did in you. Remember, you have gone from slavery to freedom. This is why in this room, we have that wall over there. That is our made new wall. It's our baptism wall. That people who have been baptized the last six years here at Radiant Life have put their name on this wall as that constant reminder that they are made new in Jesus Christ. Some of you in this room have your name written on this wall. You're there. And you remember right now even thinking about that moment when you were baptized here. Now I know about 38, 39 of you got baptized this summer at Cade Lake. I'm gonna invite you after service to come and write your name because you didn't get a chance. Write your name on this board after service. But why does it have the words made new here? Why does this matter? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the, can we read those two words? The new creation 
has come. The old has gone, the new is here. Because you are made new in Jesus. Remember what baptism, the water representing the grave, that your old self is dunked and it's dead, it's buried, and you come up new. You are new in Jesus Christ. You're not a slave anymore. You are walking in freedom as a child of God. You're walking that. And this is why we truly believe in baptism. Because baptism matters because of what Jesus did in you. And as the Last Supper, the communion, reminds us slavery to freedom, so does baptism. You are dead to the slavery of the sin of the world, and you are free in Jesus Christ. And I truly believe this. Depending on where you're from and your background and denominations, that's just your, your church sometimes has an umbrella of a denomination. A lot of denominations, they want to measure two things in the church. They want to measure how many people do you have coming, and they want to measure how much money's coming into the church. I'm currently in talks with our own denomination saying we're measuring the wrong things. We ought to be measuring baptisms and salvations and discipleship because that's what's going to change this world. Why would I even want to count baptism? Because that's the next step of your journey with Christ and you're going public with it. Now, if you noticed, we have this baptism tub here. And normally when we do baptism, we announce it, you guys get signed up for it, and then we do baptism. And we felt the Lord just prompting us, you can't talk about baptism without an opportunity to people to get baptized. And I know right now you're sitting there going, I didn't bring anything. <laughs> I came like this. I didn't know this was going to happen. We have your back. We have shorts, we have sweatpants, and we have a shirt for you in the back. You're going to go home dry. Oh, by the way, we got a towel for you as well. <laughs> we just need that one back. <laughs> all right, I don't want to mess all this, this up. Listen, you can have the freedom to get baptized and sneak out the back door. You don't got to come back. But Ryan, I... How, I want my mom and dad there. I want my grandparents there. It's that moment. We got you covered. We don't have mom and dad or grandma here. But we have a photographer that's taken pictures, and we will gladly send you them. Gladly. And maybe perhaps Holy Spirit's just been stirring in you right now. And you know that your next step in this moment right now, I haven't been baptized yet. And I know I didn't come prepared, but that tugging is Holy Spirit working on you. I'm asking, is there anyone here today that has an act of obedience in that tugging, and I know you're not ready, that you're willing, today's the day, to get baptized because we're ready for you isn't God good friends yeah. 
<laughs> it was a risk to do this. But I realized when the Lord prompts you to do something, then it's no longer a risk. It's his reward. I say, church, may we never, ever take for granted a move of God. May we never take for granted a move of God. This was special. This was fun. So, uh, revival? <laughs> yeah, amen. 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 Well, I realize that I'm not oblivious to what time it is. Right? We are close to a two hour service. Right? Yeah. And so I understand some, man, you got meal plans, you've got this that you got to go. But what we're going to do is we're going to celebrate with one closing song. And it's called This I Believe. It's the creed. And I said, what an appropriate way of all the ways that we just got done looking at the Nicene Creed to understand what we truly believe in. So I'm going to ask church, will you please stand as we close our two-hour service? Wow. Let's worship God with reckless abandonment. Let's worship the creator of all things, the God who changes everything. Let's worship.